week of March 20th, 2022. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 577, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And resting up at my country home, I'm Michael Giltz. Why are you resting up at a country home? It's been a long weekend with the IRAs. I, we voted on the best films of all time on Friday night, and on Saturday night we got together to vote on the best films of the year, or at least the last 12 months since we met in March, or April rather, of 2021. So, you know, I'm, I'm wiped out. First you had to do all the voting and the balloting and the politicking, then I had to write it up for posterity on my blog. We got a link in the show notes. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's hard being a geek. <laughs> We're going to talk about the IRAs later. Do you want to explain now what they are? Or no, 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 no. We'll get to that later. It's movie awards. Movie awards. We got a lot of it. So what? You know, we're going to talk about that and lots of other movie awards. But what else will we cover this week on Showbiz Sandbox? Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are eagerly counting the days until the Academy Awards. I mean, seriously, we want this to be over. I mean, it's gone on way too long. <laughs> no, no, it's exciting this year. <laughs> there's a well, lot the of final pos- votes right now. They're being made. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, all everybody's tallying them up and, and, and checking those boxes just as the final guilds are weighing in. We've got the latest news from the Producers Guild, the Writers Guild, and of course, the Iris, as you just mentioned, Michael. Is there Oscar Gold in Belfast, Coda, or The Power of the Dog? The theater chain AMC is saying, you know what the heck with that? And going after some real gold, we'll explain what that means. Actually, we have no idea what that means. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go, what? It means someone has <laughs> lost their mind. Right. <laughs> of course, uh, the war in Ukraine continues, unfortunately, as Russian troops get bogged down by inflicting increasing harm on civilians. We've got an update on how it's impacting the entertainment industry. That's right, because AMC investing in gold would be like us talking politics. What do we know? Yes. Nothing. What do we know, really? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, by the way, streaming numbers are coming in for the new season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And here's the thing. Spoiler alert. It's still pretty marvelous, apparently. On Inside Baseball, we'll look at a New York Times story about the big success. Uh, it's, I guess, a Chinese success uh, that, well, it's, it's a Chinese company, and they're having a big success with their video games. And frankly, China as a country is having some success with video games. But here's the thing. It's not happening in China. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. First, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. We're looking at box office around the world. We have a link to ComScore in our show notes. And to get ready, Sperling, uh, we've got, you know, pull information from Box Office Profit, Box Office Mojo, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, All the Trades, Wikipedia. And the number one movie around the world is The Batman. <laughs> Thank you very much. We paid good money for that. We're going to use it. It made $135 <laughs> million this week. It's at $600 million worldwide. Again, we cover the entire week's box office. If you read most of the trades, the headline said the Batman made $86 million. Why? Because they ignored the money it made on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. What sounds better, $86 million or $135 million? Everyone should switch to covering the entire box office the movie has made since the last time you reported on it. It's crazy to ignore how much is that $50 million in box office. It just, it makes no sense. The bigger the number, the more excited people get. $600 million worldwide for the Batman and counting. At number two is Uncharted, the Tom Holland film. That made another $36 million. That's at $337 million worldwide. Then we have a new film on the chart. It's a Japanese animated film based on a manga. It was debuting in the U.S. mostly. It's already made a ton of money in Japan. It's called uh, Jujutsu Kaitsen. Oh, I'm sorry, Jujutsu Kaitsen. Oh. Uh, it made $22 million this week. It's at $145 million worldwide. I think it was the top grossing film last year in Japan. I may not be right about that, but it certainly made a lot of money. Uh, and we have some good news from India of a sort. Uh, in India, people are going back to the box office. I think I've converted crore properly into rupees and rupees properly into dollars. I may be off by a factor of 10. I hope I'm not. But I believe a new movie opened up, The Kashmir Files. It's a drama, and it has made, I think, this week, $21 million. Uh, it's made $24 million overall worldwide. It made money here in the U.S. It opened up here in the United States as well. So that's a worldwide total for The Kashmir Files. 
Is that good news? Yes, we're very glad that the Indian box office is opening up. This film in particular, not so much. Many critics in India have said that the movie is anti-Muslim and it's stoking hatred. And it's filled with some truths, half-truths, and lies. Uh, at best, some say it lacks nuance. Uh, however, it is strongly endorsed by the ruling BJP party. So this film, if you're a Muslim, probably not a fan. Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a problematic movie in terms of the content. But in terms of box office, I guess it's a good sign. It's nice to see people feeling comfortable enough to go back to the movies. At number five on the chart. And again, these movies are not competing with each other because they're all opening worldwide in different places and different times. But so far, they're all making money. And here's another one that's making money. It's Dog, the Channing Tatum directorial debut. He's got a new movie opening up this weekend. He and Sandra Bullock are pounding the pavement, promoting that one. Dog made $10 million. It's at $65 million worldwide. Tom Holland has two movies on the chart. Spider-Man No Way Home continues to break in the box another $9 million, $1,885,000,000. It's this close, inches away from breaking the $800 million mark in North America. That means... The studio from North America alone has, has netted $400 million. It costs $200 million to make. They spent a ton of money, of course, promoting it. But from the United States alone, this movie is in the black, right? Why do you think they keep making these movies? <laughs> well, that's, that's true, yes. So, so that's, uh, that's pretty cool, though, to, to do that in one territory alone. Sure, it's the, at this point, I guess, maybe the biggest in the world by the time we get done with 2022. We'll see. But China is, of course, shutting down some theaters, unfortunately, because of the pandemic and COVID. So we'll see where they end up. But it's going to be a battle this year, I think. China had pulled way ahead this year. Not so sure. Uh, one movie that's doing well is Sing 2, another $9 million. That's at $375 million worldwide. Then we, it's nice. We have $9 million, $8 million, $7 million, $6 million, $5 million, $5 million, $4, $4, $4, $4. It's a nice straight down number. So all these movies have made a couple million dollars. Uh, such as The Bad Guys. This is a DreamWorks animated film based on a kid's book. It opened up in some overseas territories. Uh, it comes to the United States in April. But this is the weird windowing world we live in. On April, It's already opening up in Australia, I believe, and some other territories. It hits the United States on April 22nd. Then it goes to Peacock or after that 45-day theatrical window. Then, after Peacock has it for four months, it goes to Netflix. <laughs> so when you, And then at some point, it's on Blu-ray and DVD and on, on demand and all that stuff. So figuring out these movies and where they're available, it's got to become harder and harder for people. Do they, I mean, do, is that a concern? That people just don't know where to find something? Oh, is it on Peacock? Is it on Netflix? Is it, you know, where is it? How do I find that out? There's no clearinghouse. We recommend justwatch.com. But is this going to be a concern for home entertainment, Sprone, that people just don't know whether to go to Peacock or Paramount or, or Netflix or, you know, or what to do? Is this a problem? Is this a rhetorical question? No, I'm because, asking. Yeah, no, I mean, it's yes, it will be an issue. I think right now they're just the big issue is how do we get people to subscribe? Uh, they don't necessarily care whether they can, uh, you know. Find anything. <laughs> yeah. At some point, it will be the issue. And that's right. when you'll start seeing bundling. And you'll start, actually, I think well, what you're you going to start bundle, seeing. You can't bundle Peacock and Netflix. The question is, I'm a consumer and I want to see the, I've heard about the bad guys. I'm sitting at home thinking I'd like to see it. I wonder if it's on one of these seven streaming services I have. I got to find yeah, it out I, and I can't do it in my, at my, at my TV easily. There should be a portal on your television. You type in the movie and it says it's available right here and you either have it already or you can subscribe to it or you can and you I know, think that's rent coming. it for $4. Yeah. Who's going to do it? Cause everybody wants control over the TV, right? Everybody wants yeah. to be the portal as your way into it. Apple wants to be it. Uh, everybody wants Roku. to be that portal. Right. So they, they all want to do that and getting everyone to cooperate and provide info is really hard. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think there will probably be a service like Just Watch who will like uh, license their stuff, their license their data feed to all of these services. Uh, and it might not be Just Watch; it might be you know one or two other services that does that as well. And you know there will be some form of uh, it will become a competitive advantage. You know, if you're on Apple TV and you have an Apple TV, look how easy it is to search up. I don't to know. To find out what you want. You don't have to guess yeah. and go to Peacock. You can just say, I want to see this. Yes, but then you also want to display to people all the stuff that's available and you always want to use your stuff first rather than the most popular right. or the most newest. So Apple TV would always be like, don't you want to see Ted Lasso? 
They'll be saying that for the next year and a half. All right. So that's just a thought, something to think about. The Battle of Lake Shangzhong 2, that Chinese film made another $7 million. That's at $633 million worldwide. Almost all of that made in China, grossed in the Chinese market or very close territories nearby like Hong Kong and other places, which brings up the question of that's great. They are making movies competitive in the Chinese market and they can make a lot of money, but it's really even better. And what they'd love to do is make money worldwide. Japan does it. Korea does it. The United States does it. Many other countries can do it on a consistent basis. China's not doing that yet, but they've had success in some other territory, in, in some other categories of entertainment. And we'll get back to that in Inside Baseball. Death on the Nile made $6 million. X, that's a new movie. This is a, a slasher film from A24 that played at South by Southwest. Did you watch this, Sperling? I did not. They did not make it available to uh, remote uh, it was, audiences. It was coming out too soon, I guess, probably. Yeah. And I yeah. get that. I get, I, I totally understand that. And I wouldn't have been into watching that anyway, even if it's a pretty good slasher film, I'm just not interested. It'd have to be the best slasher film of the year and, and reviewed in a way that says this is not for people who just like slasher films. Cause otherwise I, I, don't I really am. I'm happy that uh, a 24 is doing quite well with that film. Oh, cool. That, yeah. You know, they distributed the movie back to India. We have another, another new movie opening up. This is, uh, Bakchan Pandey. Oh, sorry about that. I looked. Oh, here it is. Bakchan Pandey. Bakchan Pandey. Uh, I looked. I uh, looked up to see how they were pronouncing it. I think that's a little better. It's a Hindi action comedy. It's a remake of a Tamil film, and that made five million dollars. The new Michael Bay film, Ambulance, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, that opened up overseas to four million dollars. And uh, Turning Red, the Pixar movie that friends have seen and said is great. They think it's really good. They liked it a lot. That made four million dollars last week in a few small territories only in countries where Disney Plus is not available, and it made $4 million this week. As one commentator said, I think it was one of the guys at Forbes magazine, he said, well, Sing 2 has made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worldwide. Are you telling me Turning Red couldn't play in theaters first? Did they really not want, you know, $120, $140 million to defray the cost of this movie? You know, it could have been opened. People are going to the movies. They're willing to do it. Why is Disney refusing to do it? I guess it's because they just don't have a lot of content to put on Disney Plus yet. Well, also at the time that decision was made, and I'm not excusing it because I agree with you, uh, they, there was some question about uh, would, do people feel safe going back to movie theaters with the latest wave of COVID and everything was closed down? And that said... Everybody That's also thought, true. well, by the time your movie comes out, it's going to be, you know, different. The end of you March. don't know what it will be, but it will be different. And, right. and you know, if nobody's going to go to the movies, no harm, no foul, because you're promoting it and you can always quickly pivot to Disney Plus. And, right. you know, you just put it in theaters and everybody understand. I'm sure the chains were being very, very understanding at this stage. They'd just love to have some, you know, exclusive content for two weeks, three weeks. Certainly AMC, uh, they're looking for content, aren't they? They're also looking for gold. Yes. Uh, now here's, uh, and, and maybe some of that gold is in advertising films for Disney plus, because one of the big questions that exhibitors had was, Hey, thank you for putting that, uh, that trailer for turning red in front of Spider-Man, uh, <laughs> when it was in theaters, uh, we're not in the business of promoting your streaming TV shows, but there are TV shows being promoted all the time. When you sit yes, in those it, damn movie theaters, there's half an hour of junk that you have to sit through. It drives me bonkers. And there's things for TV yes, shows, but not in the trailer pack. Well, not, a, not during the yeah, trailer Oh, pack. well, cry me a river. <laughs> you know, don't tell me to sit through 20 minutes of whoever those hosts are pounding the pavement for some, you know, some glorified trailer for a TV show. But, oh, my God, we can't show a trailer for a TV show 10 minutes later. It's like, you know. They're actually having quite quite a problem. Those That's called pre-show, right? Yeah. That, that, that kind of. Uh, and once we had uh, seating, like reserve seating. Mm -hmm. uh, people started showing up for the movies. Like exactly. The start I, of the I, exactly. I call up and I'm like, how long are the, I know it's going to be 20 minutes at least pretty yeah. much at any major chain. I know my indie house, uh, sidewalk cinemas here in Birmingham, which is going to be facing Alamo draft house. They have like one trailer, maybe two. And then the movie starts. You got to be there on time. They do not right. pack, pack it full, which is great. You know, it's like these days you can see a trailer on demand anytime you want online. So it's not such a thrill to see a trailer. And I like knowing when the movie begins. If you have trailers and stuff for me to watch or there's an exclusive trailer, just let me know. So I know when to show up for the actual movie. 
there are some countries where the time that is posted has to be the time the actual movie starts, right. not the time that the trailers start. Right. And, and so they can show stuff for 20 minutes before, but you know, if you arrive early and yeah, now that I have a reserved seat, I don't have to get there half an hour early just to make sure I don't have a, a bad seat. So yeah, you can skip that stuff a lot more easily, but AMC, they're not finding gold in advertising. Where are they finding gold? They're in finding a gold, gold mine. In, in a gold in, mine. Yeah, in a gold and silver mine, thank you very much. They <laughs> bought $28 million, or 20, I think yeah, it was $27.9 yeah. million worth of uh, a stock in a mining company that's in Nevada. Uh, they own a gold and silver mine. Uh, they they had don't own it. Are they control, do they own the whole thing? I, no, no. I didn't 20, know whether it was no, a, sorry, the, the mining company owns it. Right, yeah. So, so they bought a stake in a gold and silver mining company. I don't know that they're trading publicly yet necessarily. But they no, no, invested- they are. Oh, okay. So they invested $28 million in a gold and silver mining company. Why? Does AMC have so much money that they should be throwing money around at gold mines? No, I mean, but this, no, not at all. And to be honest, uh, not in this format. Uh, we have said, uh, you know, hey, it would probably be best if, uh, you know, theater companies, cinema chains could diversify a little bit, usually in strategic, you know, in strategic ways. Popcorn, for instance, AMC yeah. was going to get into retail popcorn. Hey, not a bad idea. That's like pretty. They're making popcorn already. It makes sense. Yeah. Or, or um, in home entertainment. You know, they've got their website where they are trying to rent movies and stuff. It hadn't worked. They're too late. But if they had said many years ago, we want to invest in Blockbuster, you would say, well, that makes sense, right? It's, it's part of their area of expertise. People watching movies, going to see movies, being entertained by movies. But a gold and silver mine, they're like, yeah, yeah, we know it doesn't make any sense, but we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, like did, and they, oh. and we're we're publicizing it to <laughs> to a large right. extent. You should be embarrassed by it. Exactly. No, it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. I mean, they've had I this mean, crazy it, run on 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 small time investors pumping up their stock. They wisely at some points took that money and reinvested it in the business rather than say, all right, we're going to cash out a little bit because we want to use this money to lower our debt and do smart. And now they're like, we're going to buy a gold mine company. It's 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 absurd. It's absurd. Well, look, uh, you know, if if it winds up working, you'll see other no, companies. No, doing. no, 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 you won't. Random <laughs> investments and in stupid stuff. You have no idea what you're talking about is not a good strategy. <laughs> and even if you get lucky, that doesn't mean, oh, that's a good idea. It's still a stupid idea. Yeah. But we, you know, where's my, we, we were talking before the, the, we started recording about how companies do this all the time when they have extra cash on hand that they can't just let sit around. So they give it to an investment bank and say, Hey, invest uh, this for us in a d diverse array of investments. Well, that's uh, not what this is. This is that's saying, not what this is. No, this is this, not companies this is. do not do this all the time. People who make, you know, cars do not suddenly say, I'm going to buy a cow farm. You know, and I was like, no, <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> the whole thing is absurd. Anyway, there is money to be made at the box office. Global box office hit $21 billion worldwide in 2021, almost exactly half of the $42 billion it grossed back in the pre-pandemic days of 2019. So global box office still clawing its way back up, but home entertainment, that rose a lot in uh, 2021, of course. It rose 14%. It's at $78.5 billion. That's worldwide for streaming revenue, digital sales, stuff like that. So if you combine it all, the home entertainment, sell-through, and worldwide box office is a $100 billion market. That's right. a lot of money. And, and that's coming from the theme report. This is uh, the Motion Picture Association. And it's, by the way, it's not the Motion Picture Association of America anymore. It's right. the MPA, not the MPAA. Uh, and uh, so they do an annual report. It's called the theme report. And uh, guess what? This, that's where these numbers come and from. And they're taking a worldwide perspective, as they should, because that's where Correct. the American companies need to survive. They can't flourish with just the U.S. box office alone, Spider-Man or no Spider-Man. So worldwide, they've got movies, and they've also got theme parks. And Shanghai Disneyland has gone from minimal hours to no hours. They have shut down due to the pandemic. So uh, sad to see. That's also happening to movie theaters in China. So that's impacting like the Batman, which had a lower opening than anticipated in China because pandemic. Yeah. And of course, well, and what kind of impact didn't will there open be in Russia? No, what <laughs> the kind of impact will there be in Eastern Europe? Uh, you know, these countries do not have a big impact 
uh, on themselves. Russia is a big market. That's a billion dollar market. Ukraine has 42 million people. That's a good sized country. But Poland is being overwhelmed with refugees. There's going to be stress and disruptions in multiple countries in Eastern Europe. People simply not feeling like they want to go to the movies right now. They're too stressed out because there's a war raging in their backyard, if not in their own exact country. So that's got to have an impact uh, for this year. That's not good. It's very disruptive. And of course, that's not really what matters in this context, but we're looking at this through the lens of entertainment. And when we do, we find out Paramount has finally joined the other major studios and saying, we're going to pause our business in Russia. What took them so long? I don't know. The Berlin Film Fest, they are doing what many other film festivals are doing. They are blocking official delegations from Russia, but not individual filmmakers. Some Ukrainian filmmakers say, you know, nobody from Russia needs to be on a red carpet. I can respect that attitude. Others say, no, don't disabuse our allies. There are people who don't like the Russian government. Why block them from your film festival? Not that there's necessarily a patriot test that you have to pass in order to go to the Berlin Film Fest. Say, I hate Putin. That necessarily is not a good idea either. Apparently there is for the, the Metropolitan Opera, as we've discussed, you know, that's what they said. If you don't denounce Putin, then you, we don't want, I don't to- believe they're asking there. I believe it's, it was specifically Anna Trevka who's actively and enthusiastically endorsed Putin. I don't believe they're asking people to sign a statement saying, I hate Putin. I think it's just that one star who has aggressively supported Putin over the years. And they've said, you know, if you're still aggressively supporting him, we're not going to have you here. I, I believe that's the case. I may not be right. I think there's a little more nuance. I don't think they're saying, sign this paper saying you hate Putin. That's, you know, that wouldn't be fair to people who have family and friends back in Russia. And that's not necessarily what I'm calling for. But it's complicated. It's not easy. We certainly don't have the answer. But I do know this. Our, our friend Asad Butt or Boot uh, from Rife Lion, you know, he's right when he says, well, are you going to boycott the U.S. for all the, the breaking of international they've done over the years for the people they have? And he didn't mention this, but the people we have illegally in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, no, it's really hard. When you're one of the big, big superpowers, you don't pay the same price that smaller and weaker countries do. You're held to a real standard if you're a small country because people don't care. They're, like, they're happy to say no to, you know, uh, Haiti. <laughs> if Haiti did something bad, they'd be happy to block Haiti because it wouldn't pay a big price. But when you're China or the United States or a major world power with nuclear weapons, it's a lot harder to get people to boycott you. But yeah, if you're going to make moral judgments about which countries to allow to your film festival, there'd be a lot of countries you wouldn't have. And, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't object to anybody who did that, but it just doesn't happen when you're one of the biggest and most powerful countries in the world. Not fair, but that is the way it is. But uh, if, if anybody ever blocked the U.S. because of their occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan, I'd be like, more power to you, I agree. But it's dangerous and it's difficult. And even people I don't always agree with I can have sympathy for. That's certainly the case with Fox News. Two reporters from Fox News, a cameraman, uh, Pierre Sharshevsky, and a reporter, Sasha Kushnova, have both died in Ukraine. They've been killed during the war. So that's very sad to hear. There's, there's good, there is an hour newscast in, on Fox News that provides good, solid news. Their website can be a decent source of information as well. Shep Smith is no longer there. But that newscast has had good information at times, and anybody risking their lives to cover the war and get information out, uh, it's uh, very sad to hear. And uh, just to cl clarify, so the Metropolitan Opera announced it will not work with Russian artists and organizations who support President Vladimir Putin until further notice. Right, but supporting is not the same as m insisting that they denounce him. I don't True. think that they're yes. asking for Good a point. pledge of Good denouncement. Point. Yeah. Um, and certainly organizations, government funded, that gets tricky too. The Bolshoi, the Bolshoi Ballet is, is the head of the head of the orchestra for the Bolshoi Ballet has resigned from it and a French Institute. And he's, he's like, I believe music brings people together and how I'm insulted that anyone would ask me if I support war. I'm never in support of war, but don't ask me to choose between Beethoven and, you know, Shostakovich. And he's just resigned from both because he doesn't, he feels like he's being asked to make pledges. And it's like, no, you know, it ain't easy. Bolshoi is, you know, funded by the government in part or in whole. So it's a, uh, it's very difficult time here. Uh, you don't want to confuse individuals with the government. Uh, the U S government doesn't always speak for me. Uh, the Russian government doesn't always speak for the people that you're dealing with on a case by case basis. So, you know, it ain't easy living in a country where you don't have a lot of rights, that's for sure. And it's, it ain't easy living in states where you don't have a lot of rights. Disney's Don't Say Go imbroglio won't end. Go? Don't say this. go? Don't, don't say it, go. Don't, don't say go and be gay. <laughs> don't say gay. So, yeah, this is a law that's being passed in Florida. Employees were upset about the Disney's uh, head, Bob Chapek's 
you know, fumbling of that issue. He messed it up seven different ways to Sunday. They're continuing to express their disapproval. And guess what? A big problem for all the studios looms in Georgia. That state is getting ready to pass its own anti-gay bill intended to demonize and isolate gay students and their families. That's really the only purpose of the bill because no kindergarten teachers are running around talking about sex. That's never happened. And unlike Florida, or if they are, they, they do it they once would be fired. and they're fired. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right. And unlike Florida, Georgia has a lot of film and TV production. It won't be just Disney that needs to take a stand. And in fact, Florida, Universal, are people asking Universal what they think about the don't say gay bill? Are they taking a big enough and strong enough stand? Are they raising a ruckus? Because that's what helped pass some bills that people objected to in Georgia. And whether you agree or you can say Universal should adamantly support it if you like. That's okay, too. You say Universal should support it. Disney should support the bill. I have no problem with that, but it's their state. They may lose business if they're not paying attention. They need to decide where they stand on an issue that impacts their employees living there and the people who may want to visit their companies in that state. So you can't get away with saying, you know, this isn't something we want to deal with. Um, but there's more to go do with social justice and our sexual misconduct section. Chris Cuomo, he's suing CNN for $125 million. He's saying they've damaged his reputation. Everything he did was with the full knowledge of his bosses, who, of course, have also been fired. And, and it's making him difficult, if not impossible, for him to get work. Who's going to hire him, he says. I say, I know a few people, starting with, I bet, Fox News. <laughs> I bet right. they hire you. <laughs> they love that stuff. Well, so um, that's ongoing, isn't it? Yeah, so this is an interesting lawsuit because effectively what it's it's saying is, okay, well, you owed me for the contract. You know, the, right. I had 18 months left on my contract. But by the way, you ruined my reputation in future earnings. Right. So, but by, and uh, Eric Gardner, who used to be the reporter, you know, the legal reporter over at the Hollywood, Hollywood Reporter, mm -hmm. uh, basically went into this on his new, uh, he's at Puck now. And he said, you know what? There were several instances where on-air talent did kind of, you know, go after him a bit, and they did so knowing that it was questionable. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because well, he's he says, basically, Look, when, I, when I met with the governor and talked to him, everything I did, they knew about. And of course, that's why they've also been fired. <laughs> right. So that's why. So that's true. You, know, you can't say, well, my boss knew I robbed the bank. So what's the big deal? It's like, he knew I was stealing funds. Well, yes, but he did it too, and you've both been fired. So it's interesting to know where that will end up. I imagine they will have some settlement. I mean, I imagine they'll want some settlement unless he wants it all to come out in court. Well, you know, yeah, like, we're not paying you anything. He says, well, you're going to pay me a lot. They'll say, here, take 10 million and go away or something like that, right? Well, that's Gardner's point is that, uh, is that the, the number on that a lawsuit, because it's only like... It's only it's like sixteen million dollars on the contract. The rest of it is all is all is all uh you know this defamation lawsuit. Right. Sixteen million, so, also known as a winning lottery ticket that would change yeah, my exactly. life. <laughs> it's only sixteen million. It it goes on and on, but so does award season. We've had a big final weekend. Next week is the Academy Awards. We're hoping to have Ann Stockwell on as our guest as she's here. Ann Stockwell. Year. Who, who's Ann Stockwell? Ann Thompson. Ann Thompson. Ann Stockwell is my editor from The Advocate. Uh, shout out to Ann Stockwell, Ann Thompson of Thompson on Hollywood and IndieWire, of course, our award specialist and a longtime guest of the show. We hope to have her on this week, uh, for the next week for the Oscar wrap up. Uh, I guess we'll be uh, the show's on Sunday night, right? So we can we can have yes. the show on Monday morning as always. And the final awards are being handed out, and Coda's got a lot of momentum. Of course, it already won SAG. It won the SAG award for best the equivalent of best film. And then it won the writer's guild for best adapted screenplay. And it won the producer's guild award for best film of the year. So Coda won the PGA, the WGA and the SAG awards, the power of the dog, its biggest competitor. It did win the DGA, but of all the guilds, you know, Coda has swept three. Now, which one of them is the most important? I would say SAG because, because of the number, just the number right. of voters. And which is of those three wins, every, every branch matters, but which one of those three wins is the least telling or least significant? I would say the Writers Guild because it's in different. I don't know that the, they weren't, they weren't competing with The Power of the Dog or Belfast. Yeah. Those movies were not eligible. So winning the WGA award for CODA uh, and the fact that Power of the Dog and Belfast didn't win anything is meaningless because it wasn't competing with them. So that's not really that telling. It certainly helps. 
it's the final weekend. You won the Writers Guild. You won the PGA. The wind is behind your sails. So that looks good. People are finishing up their voting this weekend. That can only help to see headlines saying, Coda, 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 looks like a winner. So they, you know that could certainly help for sure. But uh, the fact that one of them isn't really telling is important. Jane Campion did win the DGA. That seems no doubt she won Best Director. But what will win Best Picture? Will it be Coda? Will it be the BAFTA winning The Power of the Dog? Will it be Belfast? Both Coda and Belfast will, you know, break the rules and be one of the rare exceptions for also, oh, you got to have an editing nomination. You have to have a screenplay win and you have to have, you know, all these sort of arcane things people figure out after the fact. I feel like either one of them will make history. And if the power of the dog wins, it will seem obvious in retrospect. You know, you just say, well, it had the most nominations. Coda and Belfast had almost no nominations in any other category. It was very weak support. Uh, Power of the Dog had the most. It was going to win Best Director, so it won Best Picture. It was like, well, of course, that makes sense. But Coda, big momentum, won three, heartbreaking. That would be your pick for Best Picture, wouldn't it? Right now, I haven't seen all the movies. Uh, nah, so that's okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I loved Coda. I know the people who absolutely hated it. They absolutely, I mean, I saw it at, at Sundance in its very first screening and thought it was really touching. Uh, and it, it, it made, you know, it had a lot of heart. And, and I think that, you know, the, all the hate that is being rained down on this movie. Well, hate, I just, you know, hate, it's to say I didn't like it. <laughs> I don't hate the movie, but I wasn't a fan. I, did, I thought it was pretty bland. Oh, no, pretty, what I mean pretty is... Pretty TV movie formula. Yeah, 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 you know. All the people saying, if it wins Best Picture, oh, it'll be the worst Best Picture ever. People have Since to say, The what Shape about? of Water. <laughs> yeah, or Crash. Or, or Crash, or, or, yeah, yeah. There's all that Around the World in 80 Days, or or The Greatest Show on, you know, there's always bad movies winning Best Picture. Or Green um, The Oscars almost never picks the best movie of the year, uh, virtually never, and it and it rarely picks even the best film among the movies nominated. <laughs> I guess if I had to choose what was the best film of the nominees, I would say Drive My Car. But, you know, that ain't going to win. <laughs> so, yeah. So, no. but I do know, even, uh, even other people, Cinema Audio Society, Dune won there, and the American Society of Cinematographers, uh, Dune won there as well, as well as the documentary Faya Dai, which is a beautiful looking film. Uh, so, yeah, you know, maybe Summer of Soul won the Cinema Audio, not a big one, but it also won the Producers Guild for Best uh, Documentary, and Encanto won Best Animated Film. So Summer of Soul, I was thinking, you know, Drive My Car will win Best Foreign Film, Encanto will win Best Animated Film, and Flea, which was nominated in all three categories, will win Best Documentary. But certainly Summer of Soul could absolutely do it. It's an excellent film, too. They're both really good movies, as is A Hero. That is the winner of the Iras. A Hero is the Iranian film by Askar Farhadi, uh, the director of A Separation and The Salesman. Uh, great movies. This one is another great movie. It was a good night for me at the Iras. I was very happy with almost all the wins. It was spread out. We have 13 major categories. 12 different films were honored. So a good night. Drive My Car won Best Director and, and Actor. There was a tie for Best Actress. Did well, you before, see? You go into, before you go into uh -huh. like who won, uh, uh -huh. why don't you explain what the Iras are? So that oh, those, it's it's a bunch of geeky guys who get together and vote on the movies. It's a group that's but, been but gathering they, together for forty seven. The forty seven years the Iris have been meeting, they were met as college students long before I joined, and they love movies and said we could do better than the New York film critics. What do they know? We could do we could pick much better movies. And they met at a Chinese restaurant, got drunk, and picked their best movies in all the obvious categories that you have at the Oscars. And they began doing. And as the years went on, of course, they went on to careers. Some published best selling books about cinema or biographies of major talent, or books on screwball comedies and, and things like that, film noir. Others went on to win Oscars as, 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 as you know, producers and directors. Others went to be publicists at major studios, academics, many, many film critics, people working at Premier Magazine, which is where I hooked up with them. So they've gone on to you know, do a lot of distinguished uh, good work in film. And some of them are just people who love movies and love the excuse of this group to keep them seeing the best movies and you know, keep a, you know, a fire lit under them to say, hey, I don't want to get lazy. And say, no, I need to see Faya Dai because we're going to meet in three weeks and I've heard good stuff about it. You know, <laughs> There's nothing to really make you, you know, go, oh, I got to see that Iranian film right now because I'm, my group is meeting in three weeks so that's the purpose of the group if there are a lot of you know smart intelligent interesting people who do a lot of good stuff in cinema and then there's me 
Some of them teach, you know, but a lot of critics, a lot of teachers, a lot of academics, popular biographies like of, a, of, a, of a, uh, you know, major directors in town like Peter Sellers, the actor, um, uh, Billy Wilder, the director, Betty Davis, you know, they've done lots of interesting, good stuff. So they're a lot more important than I am. And so they've got good taste and it's very arty taste. That's why you'll see the Iranian film, A Hero, winning Best Picture, Drive My Car, won Best Director and Actor, and a tie for Best Actress. This was fun. Um, did you see Kovadis Aida? Yes, and she, uh, I wish I could pronounce her name Yasna, properly. Yasna Juricic, I think, something like that. Yes, yeah. very good yes. movie. Well, she's great. She's great. She's a woman. Uh, it's based on a real story about another war crime, an act of genocide. Uh, she's watching the, her Bosnian people being slaughtered by Serbian people. And the UN is standing by helplessly, uh, unable or unwilling to interfere. And not only is she watching it happen to people in general, she's watching it happen to her husband and sons. It's just a, <laughs> a fun film for the whole family. <laughs> and she won Best Actress along with Kristen Stewart for Spencer, the movie in which she plays Diana, Princess of Wales. She could win to, on the Oscar night, though. I think it's going to be Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And then supporting that. Nobody act saw. Well, they did. They do watch it. Yeah. We've seen it on oh. the charts, on streaming. Absolutely. And then supporting actor and actress are two secondary characters from the film Red Rocket. The, uh, who Sean who is movie. Ethan Darbone? He's the, he's the goofy guy who gives him rides everywhere. The t thin, weird guy. And he has the problem later in the film. He's the next door neighbor. And he's always, he, you know, uh, Simon Rex is always asking him for a ride. And he follows him along. Then he proposes a military guy at the mall. Oh, he's, yes, 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 yes. He's yes. the other male character in the movie. There's only two, oh, basically. Yeah. Right. And then the, and then the, the other actress is Strawberry, the, the actress who plays the young woman working at the donut shop that he says, hey, you could be a star in the porn industry. <laughs> so, yeah. so they, they, those were fun supporting. And Zola, a movie I liked a lot, got some attention. So I was very happy with the Iris. You can follow a link in our show notes and read all the movies at one and, and all the stuff. It's a good list of movies. If you go see those movies as a, among the best of the year, most of them are really, really good, and I highly recommend them. And then the night before, we did the best movies of all time. What? We do it every decade. They vote on the best films of all time, just like Sight and Sound. We've got 100 movies on our list, but we do have a top 10. Sperling, how many of you, them have you seen? Have you seen Renoir's The Rules of the Game? So many times. Le regle, I even know how to say it in French. Le Regle du Jou. Please. It's a great, fun, entertaining movie. You know, I mean, some of these movies we described are heavy going and tough, uh, but The Rules of the Game is a delight. I mean, it's a really great movie. Citizen Kane, of course you've seen that. Oh, absolutely. The Earrings of Madame Deux, the Max Ophel's movie, have you seen that? Yes, I have, and Vertigo. Vertigo? No. T Tokyo Story? Yes, and The Apartment. The, ar and the Apartment being up there, that's pretty amazing, actually. No, that's a great, great film. A lot of Billy Wilder fans. Uh, the Searchers, the John Wayne Western. Yes, of course, yes. Uh, Letter from an Unknown Woman. Yes, I've seen all uh, of these. Sunrise, right. A Song of Two Humans. Sunrise, uh, uh, the highest ranking silent film on our list, and then The Magnificent Amberson. So if you want to so look at the- two by Orson Welles. Two by Orson Welles. That's Wells. right, yes. Magnificent Amberson's was like number three or two last time. So, you know, it, things jump around all the time, but it's a pretty good list. There's about 20 plus movies I'd say they shouldn't be on the list, but that's what happens when you vote as a group. So if you're interested at all, check it out. You could do worse than watching those 100 movies. I'll tell you that much. And next two years from now, we'll be voting on the best silent films of all time, which is a great Ooh. idea because so many films are now available on YouTube or elsewhere. The old days, it's like, how could you see them? You know, seeing Griffith or and it's really hard. But now with streaming and Criterion and all these places and YouTube, there's a lot of the Danish film cinema people have a pile of silent movies restored and available to watch for free online so it's public domain a lot of there's a public domain website where you can see a lot of silent cinema so i have a lot to fill in on silent cinema i'm very excited by that project and that's what i'll be doing for the next two years i will be streaming silent movies <laughs> yeah and will you be streaming the magnificent ambersons sorry not the magnificent ambersons the marvelous mrs mazel I will. I have not watched season four yet, but I'm very excited. That does bring us to streaming. We've got some news before we get to the charts. Well, let's do the chart first. We've got a top 10 overall and then top 10 for movies and original series and acquired series. The big news on movies is Encanto is number one for the ninth week in a row. If you're deciding what movie is going to win the Oscar, certainly the most popular animated film is Encanto. That's had a huge soundtrack. 
It's been hugely popular in streaming. If you've got kids, they won't talk about Bruno. I just feel like that's got to be, it just seems, I can't vote for the Mitchells versus the Machines. Uh, I can't vote for Flea. I just think, no, this movie is too big. It's a pop cultural phenomenon. I just think it has to win Best Animated Film. Okay. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any of the, uh, you know, rather than go down the, the full no. list of top tens, uh, have you seen Inventing Anna, which is uh, the number No, one? but I've heard multiple people, it was recommended at the Iris. They said it's fun. Didn't say it was great, but they said it was fun. Hugely popular. 3.2 billion minutes viewed. Uh, so that debuted on February 11th. So it was right before. We're covering the week of February 14th through the 20th. So it was available for three days. And now it's the first full week of availability. We're always about a month behind. And so that movie exploded in popularity. I've heard a number of people talk about watching it. And in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the first two episodes of the fourth season dropped in the middle of this week. And already it's on the top 10 overall. It's at 499 minutes. But once we get a full week of thinking, I think you mean million, million minutes, 499 million minutes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 499 minutes would be terrible. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so Marvelous like Mrs. One- Maisel, very popular. They announced that there will be a fifth and final season, so they're mapping out the end of the show now, uh, which seems about right because they've done almost everything they can. I'm looking forward to finishing the fourth season and, uh, I mean, the third season, which I haven't finished, and watching the fourth season, which is just coming out, and then the fifth and final season, so that'll be cool. I'm also looking forward, there's a movie by um, Werner Herzog's son, a documentary about interplanetary travel that is airing on Discovery Plus. Do you have now, Discovery Plus? I do not. But Werner is narrating this documentary. Basically, the whole gist of the thing is, I believe, yeah, interplanetary, like moving to another planet, not going to work. <laughs> it, yeah. it details all these reasons why not going to work. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, but uh, it's, a, it's a valid point, of course. And I'm like, oh, I'd like to see that, but I don't have Discovery Plus. I do have HBO Max. Help me, Sterling. Just wait. You know what? I will help you out. Just wait until the end of the year. You'll probably have both. How so? Well, you know, uh, Discovery is purchasing Warner Media, or at least the the entertainment assets of Warner Media. And I know and there's going- a, and a streamer for Discovery Plus, and there's a streamer for HBO Max. Uh, are, aren't I, are they going to bundle it? Are they going to? Uh, do I have they to are pay going for to both bundle of them? It. They're uh-huh. going to bundle it at first, and then they're going to combine it later. Mm-hmm. So, so it will become one service, whether it's called HBO Max or whatever, it will just be one big service with multiple, just like you can go to Disney Plus and find the Marvel channel or the yeah. animated movie channel or National Geographic channel. You'll be able to go to this service, whatever it's called, and find everything from Discovery Plus, everything from HBO Max, and who knows, maybe CNN as well, right? Yeah, CNN Plus, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they might merge that into... But what will they charge? HBO Max is already pretty pricey. I'm already paying $15. A billion dollars. Oh, wow. I don't think I can afford that. Yeah. yeah. But you know who who could afford that? Discovery Uh, I would imagine that the CEO of of Discovery... Yeah. How much did he get paid last year? A lot of money. $246 million. Oh, let's add $4 million and call it two fifty. dollars Come on. What's, a, what's an extra $4 million among friends? Toss in an extra measly $4 million. He's Fine. A quarter of a billion dollars pay package in 2021. I'm sure he's worth every penny. As is Endeavor's Ari Emanuel, who got part of his IPO package and all his pay pay stuff. He got $300 million. He won't get $300 million next year. He'll only get, you know, $30 million or whatever. But that's insane. Is that not obscene and insane? It's pretty insane. Yes. You know what charter CEO Tom Rutledge in the boring world of cable got? $24 million. You know what $24 million is? An insane amount of money. But it doesn't look insane when you look over at Ari Emanuel and David Zaslav. I mean, but $24 million for one year's work is insane. But oh well. I'll uh, take it. You know, you know what? I'll, go back. I, I will do you better. I'll take $22 million. <laughs> I, I'm, I'll save you money. Oh, that, that would be a big deal. I'd love to save some money. Yeah, well, actually, if that's a big deal, maybe some of the stories in our Big Deal or Big Whoop segment are a big deal. Maybe they're a Big Whoop because Big Deal or Big Whoop is our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and we tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story. Hey, Michael, listen, uh, speaking of uh, all the streaming stuff, uh, I, I forgot to ask you, I really want to watch that new comedy, uh, Minx, 
by the way. And you said you had HBO Max. The show is about people launching an erotic magazine for women in the 1970s. Oh, I've heard about that. Yeah. Y- yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I don't really have HBO Max. So what's your HBO login and password? Oh, okay. It's uh, Michael Gills at AOL. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. I'm not giving you my password. Well, oh, yes. Well, people might be a lot less willing to share their login info, at least for friends or neighbors or, you know, podcast co-hosts. Every streamer wants to crack down on people who overshare. And Netflix in particular is looking to pay you for the pleasure. If and are they really looking to pay? I guess so. If you let someone outside your household use your account, Netflix is going to charge you $3 per person per month. They even get their own login. You know, the people that you're sharing with, they'll get their own login and password. If that works, a lot of other streamers will probably pile on to the idea. They're starting with Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. Big deal or big whoop? Well, we use the same headline a lot of other people use. Netflix cracking down on account sharing. But in fact, they're not doing that at all. What Netflix is saying is right now, you can share your account with five different people. They all have the same login and same password. And then they can choose their profile. Who's, who's watching? Michael or Sperling. But what they're saying is, you know what? You can do two more. And even better, if you don't want to share your password and stuff, not only can you do two more, but they'll have their own separate login and password, so they won't know what your login and password is, so that info is not getting out into the world, but we will charge you $3 per person per month. So basically, I've known people who share it with you know four other people, they've got their account, and they've got five people using HBO Max. And I think that's the way to go. Don't worry about whether they're in the same location. Maybe your kid's at college, maybe your grandmother is down in Florida, maybe you're at your vacation home, maybe you're on your boat. So not worrying about the location is smart. Allowing them to have five separate logins is smart. And saying, you want to do two more? We'll charge you another $3 for each person. I think that's smart, but it's not cracking down on account sharing. No, in fact, what this is, is, uh, you know, Netflix needs to figure out a way to increase revenue and they can't keep increasing the price. So now they're going to start figuring out ways to, you know, gain a little bit here and there. And this is one they way know people like to share and they say, all right, right you've got a max of five. You want to share it again? Okay. It's going to cost you $3. That's not so much, you know? So if you've got yeah. some of your, your uncle Joe, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, fine here, you know? <laughs> but then the positive thing there is too, is even if you haven't used up all of your profiles and your shares, you might say, uh, you know, your coworkers, can you loan it to me? Can you give me your password? Can you give me? You're like, okay, just for this one month. And you give it to them and you don't give them your login and password. You give them their own one. And after the month, it's very easy to cut them off. Right. Right. You know, they say they're on their own. Then they can, you know, they can renew on their own. You can just do it for a month and they don't know your login and password. And you don't have to say, could you stop logging in or could you log out? My aunt Susie needs the account. You know, I've had that happen. So I think it's well, sense. And, it's smart. And you can also, uh, you know, get people hooked on it for $3 a month. You know, you get them hooked and then as you say, cut them off. And then all of a sudden that, that person wants to get their own account. Well, I love Amy Mann and I love Steely Dan. So I wonder what you think about this. I just, maybe I'm only fascinated because of who it involves, but Amy Mann will not be touring with Steely Dan this year. Now, the first we heard about all this was when Amy Mann posted a comic book. I think she drew it herself on Instagram. She did a little sketchy little comic book thing of like four pages or six pages. And part of it showed her saying she was dropped from Steely Dan's tour as an opener. And she wondered why and said, well, maybe because they thought their audience wouldn't care for a female singer-songwriter. Then she shrugged in comic book shrugging style and said it was a bummer because she loves Steely Dan 100% with no reservations. Like they're one of her favorite bands of all time. But she says, hey, anyone's allowed to not like you for whatever reason. Oh, well, that was it. She posted them. People saw it, of course, and it created a stir, complete with Donald Fagan releasing a statement saying it was ridiculous for anyone to think he would consider gender. And he's had female opening acts before. And, you know, there was miscommunication about who had committed to being on the tour and being an opening act. And he's sorry. But, you know, maybe her music wasn't the best fit with his audience anyway. So she was dumped for the tour, but not because of her gender. Just her music. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Man later posted on Twitter for no particular reason at all her own upcoming tour dates. So is this all a big deal or a big whoop? Well, I, I, don't, I think I would say big whoop. Uh, uh-huh. I think the bigger deal is that, um, first of all, if you follow Amy Mann on, on Instagram, which I will now do, she is a great little comic book artist. Yeah. She does a lot of comics. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. I think what's interesting to me about the whole, the whole story is that the whole thing played out over social media. 
Yes. And, and in a creative way, you know, because yes. he's doing a comic book about it. Uh, I do think that it probably would have been better if Steely Dan just went to, and went to her and said, look, you know, actually, we love you, but we kind of looked at our audience and went, wait a second, they have no idea who you are. Well, no, that's that's not true, though. I, that's, that does make no sense to me. There's no there is the overlap between Amy Mann fans and Steely Dan fans is probably very strong. And I can't oh, really? imagine okay. anyone who likes Steely Dan coming to hearing Amy Mann open and be like, what the hell is this? It's not like they had a punk band open for them, you know, or a funk. You know, it's like it makes perfect sense. Amy Mann as an opening act for Steely Dan is more like a double bill in my mail because she's a great artist. And they, they're literate pop people with a you know, it's like it's a perfect fit. The idea that, that his fans would not like Amy Mann is insane in my mind. Not just because I like them both. I could say you don't want Green Day opening up for Steely Dan. You know, you don't want the, the bad yeah. brains opening up for Steely Dan. Maybe you don't want, you know, a reggae artist opening up for Steely Dan or or some hardcore folky. But Amy Mann is a rock artist with a not a sound similar to Steely Dan, but right. And you're going to hear them next to each other on the radio, not blinking eyes. So the idea that he doesn't like her music or thinks his fans wouldn't to me is bonkers, but it's of course not a big deal at all, but it is cool that it worked out on social media and she's cool. And Steely Dan is great. <laughs> you know, um, I just saw the movie Cheryl, which is about a documentary about Cheryl Crow. Oh, it's a good, this it's it's interesting, yeah, because you kind of forget just how big she truly is, like what and what her career, the the arc of her career and and getting cancer and and all of that. Um, and you know, she talked about how when her first album struck, uh, I guess David Letterman got a copy of it and was listening to it on his drive home, and it was just as the album was being released. Nobody really knew who she was, and he said, "Oh, let's invite her on to the show." And she played the song Leaving Las Vegas on, you know, David Letterman's right. late night talk show. All I want to do is have some fun. But no, she, she played. Yes, that's the first song that hit. But she played the song Leaving Las Vegas Oh, on the show. And she sits down and she's incredibly nervous. It, she's becoming an overnight celebrity. And she's like, everything is out of control. She's been, you know flying back and forth and she sits down on the couch and and even before she's like genuinely like settled he says so leaving las vegas is that like uh it's an interesting song is that uh, autobiographical and she went yeah yeah you know and without even thinking she said that well needless to say all of the people who helped her write that song were incredibly pissed off and there was a big brouhaha over it and in a world where there was no twitter she could have said you know you know, last night on Letterman, I said that it obviously is an autobiographical. Here are the artists that helped me write the song. But because there was nothing like that with that kind of large megaphone, uh, it just blew up into something that, you know, basically haunted her, haunted her for years. And she was yeah. not seen as a, you know, that there had been a lot of people who contributed to that album and they saw her, they were annoyed at her success, jealous, I'm sure, and resentful. And then they didn't feel like she gave them enough credit that she was just being seen as her, not, you know, the other people. But, you know, songs can be autobiographical, even if other people contribute to the writing of it. But, you know, it's uh, it was unfortunate. It really did shadow her for a few years before she finally established herself as an artist in her own right, away from the idea like these guys had created her. That was insulting, you know, on the other hand, you know. So, yeah, for a long time, she that was a real problem for her for at least a few years and a few albums before she really gained legitimacy as an artist on her own. And that fighting with the other songwriters who contributed that album uh, didn't overshadow what she had accomplished on her own. So yeah, that's why I was sort of interested in that movie or that documentary. So it's interesting to hear, but that's pretty inside baseball. Yeah. And she readily admits, you know what? I was just nervous as hell. I had no and, idea. She said the I whole thing. She screwed it up. Yeah, she said the whole thing was like an out-of-body experience, and she didn't even realize until the next day what she had said during the interview. But, you know, you mentioned Inside Baseball, so it must be I time did. for Inside Baseball, where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We explain what they mean for the business, and more importantly, how they affect you. And I guess this week, the way it affects you is you'll be playing a lot of video games that originate in China. Tell me more. Well, there was an article in the New York Times, and uh, it, I guess if you look around the products in your home, actually, the same thing is true. Made in China is everywhere. And if you look at uh, your most popular video games, and you know, you'll probably see for the first time, one of them might say, 
made in China too. Japan has dominated gaming, and the big mobile hit of last year is called uh, Genshin, Genshin, not Genshin, Genshin Gen- Impact. Genshin, yeah. Genshin Impact, yeah. It's ja- it's Japanese through and through. I mean, it looks Japanese, it feels Japanese from the visuals to the gaming to the predilection for female characters wearing maid uniforms to, oh wait, it's made in China. <laughs> And the New York Times had this this story, yeah, by Ben Dooley and Paul Moser about uh, this breakthrough success from China. Unfortunately, they're based in China. That's the thing. They're not based in Japan. No, they're in Japan. They're in Japan. Oh, really? Well, the the, the dateline was Tokyo. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. You're talking about the, 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 okay, my mistake. You're right. You're talking about the New York Times reporters. Yeah, they're based in Japan. So the time difference made it challenging for us to ask them on. Right. So what do you think? Well, uh, I'm not a big video gamer, but I think it's really interesting. I think it's uh, telling. China has invested in soft power. And of course, like uh, every country, they want to have big success and exports overseas and share their values and culture with the world. Japan has done really well. Korea has done really well. The United States, of course. Britain punches above its weight. France, you know, there's lots of countries that create content that is popular around the world. Uh, matters in a lot of different ways, if just for the economy itself. China has been trying to do that in movies, and they've really succeeded at creating Hollywood-level blockbusters that are really popular for the Chinese population, and it's the biggest market in the world, so they can now release a movie and grow six, seven, eight hundred million dollars basically from China alone. That's a huge accomplishment. It would be even bigger if they could make those movies and find that they were popular all over the world, the way Spider-Man and the Avengers and so many Hollywood movies are. They would love to do that. They have not succeeded in that level at all yet. I mean, not, not even close. But in video games, they have developed the technical skills, they've recruited top talent, and now they scored a big hit. And most of the money isn't coming from China. It's coming from the rest of the world. And that's a huge leap that they have not made in music or TV, as far as I believe, or movies yet. So I think that's really important. Yeah, Genshin Impact, I think, made $2 billion in its first year. That's a lot of money. And I don't know if it's its first year, but it made it last year, certainly. Last year, I, think sorry, it is, yeah. I think it is close to it. And most of it was overseas, right? Yes, almost all of it. And here's the thing. You get the, the way that uh, these Chinese developers and video game publishers got into this business was by taking in outsourced work from Japan and the U.S. Mm-hmm. And they learned the business by basically you know, being a contractor for other video game developers. Just like I have coders in India. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same exact way they've learned every other industry that you know, the Chinese uh, have learned, like, you know, from Hollywood, they've, they learned from chip manufacturing. It's the same, same concept. Now, Genshin Impact has had uh, positives and negatives. Uh, it overcame one barrier, which is that people were worried about playing a video game produced by China. They're like, they're going to be spying on me. That's a genuine fear, genuine concern. One of the downsides, in fact, is that players who are chatting via text in the game are censored around the world. Don't try to mention Taiwan in a text chat while playing the game. That's not going to work. (laughs) What if you're saying, I'm from Taiwan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The country of Taiwan, you might, you'll get banned from the game. Uh, I don't know that that's happened, but I assume it can and could. That's one thing they referred to in the article. And now as if that's not enough, they overcame that resistance. They are censoring people and people are still playing the game because they love it. And they're having the ancillary positive stuff. They're selling merchandise. I mean, it's really become a cultural success, not just the game itself, but in the way a lot of Japanese uh, video games can become, you know, media powerhouses with clothing and toys and things like that. It's really succeeded now as if that's not, you know, yay, you created this Japanese-like success that's dominating around the world and having a big success. And then the Chinese government says, hey, you know what? That's too Japanese. So the government is annoyed that the games are working by mimicking the Japanese style, which is popular all over the world, by the way. If you're going to start off, imitate the Japanese style in this type of video game. If you're going to start off making a movie, imitate Hollywood blockbusters, which was what China did with their movie system. But here, they're telling the companies, you need to make games that are more Chinese. So it's like, oh my God, please, we just had our first success, and now you want to cut the legs out from under us. So that's going to be a 
Also, mm-hmm. there's a, a kind of a freeze on domestic uh, distribution of video games. They've actually, the the, the uh, government agency that approves video games has said, yes, we approve, but right. you cannot release it. And oh, by the oh. way, you can only play video games for three hours a, a week and only between the hours of eight and nine, you know, it's just. Yeah, so yeah, it's like, yeah for, for kids, they've had problems with uh, uh, over, over like, gaming. Yeah. So why would we make uh, a game for this market? You've basically said, you know, you've limited the market. Why would we make a game for this market? Yeah. So it's complicated. It's interesting. And I highly recommend the article. We've got a link to it in our show notes. Uh, so uh, you should check it out. Yeah. And you know who won't be playing these video games? And oh. they probably didn't play video games at all, to be honest with you, is mm. Peter Bowles. No, no, he didn't play. I don't picture him playing a video game at all. Now, hopefully somebody who knows Peter Bowles will write in and say, no, he loved Pac-Man. Anyway, Peter Bowles is a <laughs> British actor. He died at the age of 85. He appeared on stage for decades, starred in TV shows like The Irish RM and Lytton's Diary, but his fame rests on a sitcom that aired only for three seasons starting in 1979. The show, To the Manor Born, produced 20 episodes. That's it. That's very British. And two specials, including one of them that happened just in 2007, just a blink of an eye ago. He played the nouveau riche owner of a grocery store chain who buys up an estate and but can't buy up aristocratic lineage. And he's continually butting heads with and charmed by, perhaps, Audrey Forbes Hamilton, who is relegated to a cottage on her own estate when her husband dies and the bills are due. Hilarity ensues. It's actually a delightful series. It's on anyone's short list of great British sitcoms. Uh, it's it's a really they've got great chemistry. It's a very funny show. Uh, it's all about class and stuff, and but it's very witty. Uh, it's it, it's unusual because so many times like the one person wins and the other person loses, or the one person's the dolt. It goes back and forth here. Sometimes she's in the wrong, sometimes he's in the wrong. And it's got a nice back and forth balance. It's a it's a very delightful show. Have you ever seen it? I have not, and I'm actually making a, a note to go look it yeah, up. It's it's a it's a fun show. Twenty episodes, you know, you're done in two minutes. It's a it's a fun show. If you have any taste for British Britcoms at all, I highly recommend it. And certainly, certainly, have you ever seen the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, starring Cicely Tyson? That TV movie. Did you ever see that? Yes. Yes, I remember when as a kid when it came out. I'm older than you. I mean, I remember when it came out and the end of the movie was like, oh my God. It's an exciting scene at the end. You're like, oh, that's what I need to keep in mind. Yeah, okay. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's an important landmark TV movie. And it was directed by John Cordy, the Emmy and Oscar winning director. He died at the age of 85, just like Peter Bowles. They came in and they went out at the same time. Uh, he did everything. Uh, John Cordy did from shorts for Sesame Street to feature films starring Jack Lemmon and one of the bigger belly flops in movie history. But his best work was work that mattered. His first Oscar nomination came for a short, a satirical short called Breaking the Habit that he made for the American Cancer Society. Uh, He got a nomination for that and he won the Oscar for a documentary film called Who Are the DeBolts and Where Did They Get 19 Kids? And if you ever scan the list of Oscar movies and winners, you're like, what's that? What is that movie? It's a great title. The DeBolts were a couple who adopted children, most of whom were war orphans. So long before 19 and counting and all that stuff, in the 70s, they were adopting war orphans, and he made a movie about them. And his biggest success of all time is, of course, the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman starring Cicely Tyson. She played a character aging from 23 to 110 years old. Uh, She won the Emmy and became the first African-American to do so in the lead actress category. He also made some junk and well-intentioned work like an animated film for George Lucas called Twice Upon the Time, a TV movie adaptation of the scandalous teen memoir called Go Ask Alice. Do you know that memoir about a teen who gets addicted to drugs? It's famous. It sold millions of copies. Kids still buy it today, and it's fake. (laughs) <laughs> it's been unmasked. It's like, no, this is not a real diary by a real teenager. It's like written by this religious person who wanted to scare kids straight, kind of almost literally. Um, and the flop, what was his big flop? It was a sequel to Love Story, one of the biggest hits of all time. He directed Oliver's Story, which both Ryan O'Neill and Cordy would rather forget. So, you know, <laughs> better to remember some of his last work, a far more typical TV movie for him. It was Oklahoma City, A Survivor's Story. That was one of the last things he ever did. An interesting career. He clearly made stuff that mattered, and hopefully our show mattered. Yes, and you know what? I know next week's show is going to matter because it'll be about the Oscars. Absolutely. Yes. Nothing matters more than the Oscars. Uh, according to more, the Academy Awards. Or perhaps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? You won't miss our next show if you subscribe to us in iTunes, the Google Podcast Directory, or 
Google Podcast Store, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free, you can usually find our show. And please do rate and review the show in any one of those podcast aggregators that allows you to do so. It helps us out when you do that. That information can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find ways that you can contact us. Our email address is dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter at showbizsandbox is our handle. We're on Facebook. Facebook.com slash showbizsandbox is where you can uh, like our page. Again, all that information is on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. And they can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com? Michael Giltz has a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? <laughs> this week it's Michael'sPlatinumMine.com. Come on and invest, everybody. Come on, Regal. Come on, AMC. Invest in Michael'sPlatinumMine.com. And shockingly, it's available for one cent for the first year if I register for two years. <laughs> so for a penny, I can buy Michael's Platinum Mine, put up a GoFundMe thing or whatever, something so you can send me money, invest in my platinum mine. It's a great idea. Well, if you can't find Michael in his platinum mine, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his work is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. (laughs) 